Hi, Karen. Hey, Mars. Hi, everyone. Welcome to In Our 60s, a podcast for those of us who are navigating the decade of our 60s. I'm sorry I don't have any really cool music to play at the beginning yet. Um, I, I hope I can add that at some point. It takes a lot of work, but today I've invited one of my lifelong friends, Karen, to spend time with us and hear about her experiences as a 60-something. And thanks for being here, Karen. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. I think uh, it's amazing that you're doing this and uh, really yeah. valuable. Yes. Another reason I'm doing it is because, you know, in some of these, you know, like I, I'm a member of AARP. And, Me too. <laughs> yeah. And I get and I get the magazine, the quarterly magazine, and every month they have some kind of celebrity on there talking about, oh, it's so wonderful to be retired <laughs> and here's what I get to do now. And I'm like, look, I want to hear from regular people about about what life is like in your 60s or what right. life is like in your retirement. I'm, I'm sort of tired of hearing about the, the, the celebrity fr from, from the celebrity group of, of people. I want to hear from regular people. So that's why I'm, I'm starting with my friends, um, people who I love and respect. So, so let me ask you, do you remember, do you have any memory of when we first met? I know we met in seventh grade, but I don't have any, any specific like story surrounding that. Do you? It's so funny that you asked that because thinking about doing the podcast, I was trying to reflect on that and I'm in the same position. I remember seventh grade. That's <laughs> I, was right. I was trying to remember maybe we were in chorus together. Ah, uh, okay. All right. That's a possibility. I don't remember us having many, any classes together. Okay. Did, do you, did you have Mrs. Brader for English? No, I had okay. Miss Jackson and oh, I loved Ms. her. Ja oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, but chorus, yeah, that's probably a good. That's that's, but but I can't remember that that moment. Right? Me neither. When, yeah, me yes. neither. Okay, good. I'm glad because that makes me feel better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so let me ask you when you when you turned sixty, did you do anything special for your birthday? Do you? remember mm. thinking about turning 60? Was it some kind of definitive moment for you or just another birthday? Well, it really was just another birthday in terms of, um, you know, I, I've never really been one to, be, to bemoan the number that I become. Oh. So it was more of an amazement that 60 years had gone by. Oh, right. You know, it wasn't, so much of the age. And I do remember, and that was 2019. And I was on a kick of, we need to get out of town and do things more. <laughs> All of that. And, and we took a little, we just took a short little trip over to Lancaster because we had never really explored Lancaster's downtown and um, spent the night in a really cute little boutique hotel. And it was a nice celebration. It didn't feel monumentous to me, however. Like, it mm -hmm. was just, okay, now I'm 60. Okay, all right. Yeah, what a great, what a great way, sort of a quiet way to, yes. to celebrate. Yes. Yeah. I had a, I had that gathering for my 60th up at Heritage Hills. Which was great. Yes, that was a lot of fun. And, and we had great weather, too, for that that night, uh, a great, great well, spring. See, yeah. That's always the thing with my birthday being oh, in February. Right. <laughs> right, <it that's>... really, <laughs> you know, unless you're going to travel far, you're going to be cold. So <laughs> you know. yes. And, and before the show, Karen and I were just lamenting, we we're here in Pennsylvania, just in case we have anybody listening. And, and it is uh, very cold this weekend. We both had to walk our dogs uh, <laughs> <Right>. this morning. 
I wear about, I mean, you have your Sherpa lined, your, your lined dog walking. I have a uniform. Yeah. Right. right. And I have, I have, I I wear three pairs of pants. I pull my, I pull my jeans over my, um, over my pajamas and then, then I pull on this other pair of pants that fit over all of that. So, yeah. Does, so does Hancho wear a coat because Sally does has to put on a coat when it's this cold and she does not like it. He does not, it, nothing seems to phase him. Oh, Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> no weather seems to phase him. Mm-hmm. That, and that is the truth. Uh, nothing. That's seems wonderful. To Yes. He has a little bit longer hair than Sally too. Hers is, hers is, yes. So. But she is a little diva. She doesn't like getting her feet wet and all of that. Oh, he does not care. So now you, you had a little bit of a different experience than, than a lot of people I know about Mm -hmm. moving out of the workplace so, I, I mean, I, I, I want, I want you to share what you were doing and then what happened to that position okay. first. So tell, tell, talk a little bit about that. Well, I just have to backtrack because when I was thinking about all of this, I realized that I hadn't been in a traditional workplace since the late nineties. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I had My husband and I have had a business for 38 years, and at one point, I left a traditional workplace to join him in business, and that did not work out for us, and I went back into a traditional workplace and then made a decision after a few years, and that was working in hospice, which was really life-changing for me. But I made the decision to try to be home with my kids while they were uh, in uh, elementary school. Mm -hmm. So I kind of cobbled together a lot of different, what these days we call gigs, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you were doing it before the gig era. Exactly, exactly. So I've been self-employed for a long time, but my last social work position was as an independent contractor overseeing the care of some elderly women whose care was being funded by a trust, a local trust. And so I had no colleagues in in that position. I was power of attorney for these women and visited them in the various facilities that they lived in, helped them navigate um, through their 80s and into their 90s, and you know, oversaw their health care, their finances. And so I made a commitment. I started that position in 2008 and was told it would be a short term gig. <laughs> uh, uh, 12 years later, <laughs> right? Uh, about five years into it, I made a a very conscious, deliberate decision after a lot of reflection and uh, thought that I would see see it through to the last um, survivor until she passed. Right. So because, that because that long because what they were saying is well, it's not going to be that long because these women yes. will not because, live that long. Correct. When I started, they were all in their 80s. So yes, that was the assumption. So interestingly enough, for the last year and a half of that position, I only had one client and she passed away during COVID, during lockdown. And leading up to that, you know, I always knew this position was going to end when the last person passed away. So that was different and sometimes difficult because you never knew what was going to happen. But in the span of the last, the last 
four years of the position. Yeah, I think the last four years. Yeah, I I, I lost uh, four clients, mm. and and before that had lost my mother. So there was a lot of um, a lot of endings and a lot of reflection on how do I want to move forward in my life? Wow. So that, that, that sort of instigated or, or brought about your own reflection about the next, you know, 20 years of of your life, the next era of your life. Well, it was very interesting that because for the most, the majority of my 50s, I was intimately observing and participating in watching elderly women age and how do they navigate through life. So that was a real lesson of how I how do I want it to look. And I, I learned quite a bit. It's just a little aside is take care of your feet because mobility is really important. Wow. wow. Not something I had ever really considered before, you know, mm-hmm. but it is. And so I, I'm grateful to the women that I was privileged to, to take care of um, because I learned a lot and I learned a lot about facilities for aging people and how they run and what works and what doesn't work. And I think the biggest thing I learned from that process was irregardless of the quality of the facility and the quality of the staff, you always need someone to advocate for you from the outside. Um, because none of these women had family or or any family that were participating in their care. So I encountered many people who didn't have those advocates and and that's that was an eye opener. So what you, it sounds like what you're saying is when you don't have that advocate, things in a facility can go um, awry pretty quickly. They can go awry and they can, I I will say at a broad generalization of assisted living facilities, and that was mostly what I was involved in at the end there where there were some nursing homes, they're understaffed, their staff is underpaid, and their work is really hard. It's hard work. So if you don't have another set of eyes and someone to voice concerns, yeah, things can go awry and they can go quickly or things can just just kind of fall by the wayside. Uh, yeah. So you, you said, you know, you said something about, I, I want to go back to something you said about hospice, working in hospice, that mm. that was life-changing for you. Can, it was, can you... yeah. I was the manager of a, a hospice, an outpatient hospice, not an inpatient. So we provided ser- hospice services in people's homes and sometimes in nursing homes as well. But we did not have our own hospice facility. And before I became manager, I was a consultant doing grief counseling and running groups for the survivor, surviving spouses, mostly, of hospice patients that died. And it was, I had done grief work prior to that, but this was a real concentration of being present at the end of people's lives and it were what reverberated to me marcy was no one on their deathbed is talking about gee i wish i would have worked more i wish i would have made more money (laughs) or i wish i would have had a bigger house it was always about i wish i had more time with the people that i love oh and that's what triggered me after trying to figure out how to do it financially to say, 
I want to be home with my kids. I want to have more time with my kids, be more involved in their lives. And so that's, that's how that was life changing for me because prior to that, prior to that, I was working full time, sometimes 60, 70 hours a week, always on call, you know, depending on the, on what job I had in the social work or human services field. So I wasn't as available as I wanted to be. And um, so, yeah, so hospice really helped me get to that place, which is a little ironic that hospice for end of life helped me to get to the place to have a better life while I right. was yeah. young. While I was yes. young. Yeah. 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 So you, so you made a decision to say, I want to have those relationships now rather than, well, I'll retire in 30 years and then I'll be able to, right? Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after, you know, once that last client died, you were, you know, what were you thinking about? Were you thinking about getting, did you have to think about getting another job or were you thinking about winding, winding things down or, I mean, cause I know what yeah. you're doing now and I'm right. curious, you know, you were in that space between that position and, and, and what you're doing um, at this moment in time. Well, the interesting thing that this, the job with being power of attorney for these women, it afforded me some flexibility. And I found that I, because I didn't have a workplace and I didn't have colleagues, it it could be very isolating. So I did have flexibility and did some other things while I had that job. And one of those things was working one day a week where I work now, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, and having a little bit of a social outlet and a little bit of a creative outlet. And for three years in there, I also started a floral event business and and did that um, until that it grew too big too quickly. And I I needed to stop because it became less fun and more stressful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I had made a decision and it had an agreement with my husband that when that, when the position as power of attorney for these women ended, whenever that was going to be, that that was going to be my last human services job, that, that I would be done with my profession. I say that in quotes profession, but <laughs> for the profession that I was, went to school for, you know, or right. The, Although I can say in college, I never learned anything (laughs) that was applicable (laughs) to any of my social workshops. So, yeah, I had we had made that decision that I was not going to seek out another human services full time position when this one ended. And uh, so I already had that mindset. I don't know if that answered your question. or Oh, yes, yes, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. So then, then you, so then you were working at this uh, place one day a week, and then you just ex- well, just well, COVID happened. Your hours. Oh, that's right. I, <laughs> yeah. I forget. A, I don't know. I'm just blocking it out. I, I know. I think, I, I think for me, because we were, because I was still working during COVID, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it was a different. It was a very different experience. Right. For me, then, I mean, uh, lots of people were were working too. I mean, of course, right. restaurant people and retail people were, but but I was still working. So it, it so I sort of forget that. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, in your in where you work, you would be shut we were, down. Uh, yes the the store that I worked at one like one day a week that shut down and our business, my husband and mine's business had to shut down. That's right. Yes. And yeah, so it, and, and my last client passed away in 
um, 2020. And it was during, we had just kind of come out off of real strict lockdown because I was able to see her outdoors. It was springtime outdoors, you know, was the first time the facility had allowed any kind of visitors at that point in time. But I had been still overseeing her care and, you know, bringing her things and that kind of stuff kind of the facility was very good about being able to, um, to do that, um, you know, drop things off and so forth. But she died very unexpectedly. Even at, at 94, she had some health concerns, but she was not sick. And so it happened very abruptly, which was unlike my other clients. My other clients had been ill and I navigated you know, more healthcare systems with them. So yeah, COVID happened, everything was shut down. And of course, for everyone, that was a really difficult time, you know, like you transitioning to teach from home, you know, know, just all of that stuff. But everything just stopped for me. And, um, and then when that reopened up, when you know, that I work for an upscale consignment, home decor consignment shop. When, when they reopened, then I just kind of expanded my hours a little bit and worked, you know, now I work two days, one week, three days next week. And uh, it's less of a job than it is. uh, It's fun. I, it's fun. (laughs) It's fun. So good. I'm retired, but I still do go to work a couple days a week. And it's a nice social outlet for me as well. Right. Yeah. So you so you consider yourself to be officially retired. I mean, that's that's how. Um, you're... Yeah, I'm officially retired from my profession. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I guess that's what I would say. I, of course you know, you use there's applicable skills from being in human services to sure. work in retail and all of that. Absolutely. Stuff. Yeah. I don't have to make life and death situ- decisions anymore for people. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that, that took a toll. That took a toll. So that feels oh, good yeah. not to have yes. those big weighing decisions that you have to make that really impacts a person's life. Uh, now I just help people like decorate. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's fun. That's fun. Yes. Yeah. And not to make this, this less fun, but I, I find it interesting that a, a little bit ago you mentioned sort of how your mother's death was yes. also wrapped up into or you know, because it happened when you were in this position of being right. the advocate, if you will, the financial and health advocate for these other women. Yes. And how her death was was in that in that timeline. Yes, it was. And I have to say, having because I was in that job, and also because I had worked in hospice, I felt like I could help my mom a lot more because I had this inside knowledge of what she might need and, and where to go for those services. And so that was really helpful in, in being there for my mom. Uh, And my mother passed away rather quickly too. She was not, she had health concerns through the latter years of her life, but she really went downhill very quickly in a matter of weeks and passed. So I want, in my, in my view, I was grateful for that. She didn't suffer Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. too long. And did you, did you have time to be with her? Oh yeah. She was, she was here. She was back in, in, in our hometown. Uh, yes. You had some time to spend oh, with her. and I was so grateful that my mother moved back from Florida 
after my father passed away. And we had 10 years of really getting to know each other as women. And that was really great. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah, Yeah. that was, that was, of course, you know, we, we still were mother daughter and there were all those, (laughs) (laughs) the things that go along with mothers and daughters. But I felt so grateful uh, in reflecting after she passed that I had had that hands-on time with her where we could do things together. And, and I really got to know her as a woman and as an and individual, as an individual, yes. right, separate from from being my mother, know, yes, yeah, and being mm-hmm. being the wife of your dad, yes, and, and yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and that I feel really grateful and, and very fortunate to have had that time. Oh, that's 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 what a what a gift that uh-huh. that is to learn to know your parent to know your mom in that way. And also in that way, we were able, because we had all that time together and established a little bit more of a woman to woman relationship, I was able to know exactly what she wanted at the end of her life and exactly how she, you know, even wanted her her services, her funeral services. Oh, so you had conversations about that. We had lots of conversations about that. And, and that, that was extremely helpful. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I was, I was grateful to have gotten all her input. So I didn't have to question anything. And, and so that was really good. Why do you think it's with all your experience in in hospice and with your mom and with these women, why do you think it's so hard for people to to talk about you know getting a will, right? Mm-hmm. Having mm-hmm. a power of attorney, having a mm-hmm. living will. And mm-hmm. here's Here's where I want to be buried. And, and, you know, why do you think, I mean, I know it's death and it's not a great subject. I mean, but. Well, that's bingo because you just said it because it's death. And in our culture, in, in the U.S. specifically, we look at death as a taboo subject. We do not encourage people to look forward. We all know we're going to die, right? We, we sure. know we're going to die. But we do things in this culture around death and grief and loss that is, in, in my opinion, <laughs> in my opinion is pretty harmful to ourselves, to our emotional well-being. We, we look at death as something that you don't talk about. It's a hush-hush thing, almost as if if we talk about it, then it's going to happen, which, you Oh, know. so a little suspicion. So yes. there's a little suspicion around it. Yes, that's a great word. There's suspicion, there's dread, you know, and just how we address grieving in this culture. Most workplaces, if you suffer the loss of a loved one, a husband, a parent, you know, the policy is you get three days, three days off, right? Right. <laughs> Think about that. Three days. Yeah. You, you, you haven't Pull yourself even be- up. Yeah, yeah pull, yourself pull, pull yourself up by yourself your to- bootstraps. Get your get your shit together, exactly, and, and yes. get back in this workplace. I'll tell you, when I was doing grief support groups, loss support groups with hospice, the majority of the people who were in those groups were older women who had lost their husbands, and I can't tell you how many times I heard these you know, women in their 70s, 80s, sometimes younger, sometimes younger than that. And they would say, you know, my neighbor said to me, why are you still crying? It's already been a month. 
Oh, no. And my response to them would be, how long were you married? And they would say, you know, 40 years, sometimes 50 years. Well, why would you think that a month would be a sufficient amount of time to not have feelings of loss for this relationship? Whether it be good or bad or both or whatever, it's still major loss. But we have this expectation in our culture that someone dies, you have a a ceremony, a funeral, and then everything's okay. That wraps it up, right? That that wraps it up. Wraps it up. Yeah, exactly. And and the thing is, is that loss and grief is a part of living. And if we could teach our children from a young age, and it does sound kind of morbid, but it doesn't have to be taught this way. But if we could teach our children that, you know, grief is not a bad thing. We learn from grief. And the reason why we grieve is because we've had a relationship that was important to us. Mm-hmm. And then oh, that's turn, a good way to put it. And then in turn, we're also teach them to invest in relationships because they are so important as opposed to just letting relationships happen, you know? Right. And, and so that was a long winded answer to your question, but okay. I do, I do think it's, it's very, our whole concept of death, grief, loss, being a taboo subject and, not something to plan for death to me makes sense. I am staunchly <laughs> upfront with my kids. Here's what I want to happen. Here's what I don't want you to get stuck with. Right. <laughs> like, right. Good for you. I just think it's really important because, to address that. because, you know, when, when, when your parents die, you know, there's this idea that you should have all this stuff to do, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think, but if the parents, in your case, you, you know, plan, your kids are still going to have plenty of things to do. Right? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, it's not as if they're getting out of something. Right. When you, you know, there's still going to be a lot for them to handle or a lot for your state to handle. Yeah. Yeah. But, but at least in a few small ways, can you, can you have, can you have completed something? Can you have done something so that they can have some time to grieve? Exactly. That they can have some time to grieve. And, and even prior to death, if they're in a position where they have to make decisions about my health care. That's why living wills and advanced mm-hmm. directives are so important. You're at a time of high stress and you have to make decisions. And I will say my experience with the medical profession is, is that, you know, they're, they're trained to prolong life. Yes. And it's really important for people to understand what they think that they would want in those advanced directives. And in, in making those decisions prior, then the people that love you don't have to second guess or later feel guilt or, you know, whatever. Um, did I do the right thing? Is that what they wanted? You know, that kind of thing. I think that's really important. Right. I think one issue with grief is that someone else's grief makes us uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And that's the reason why we want them to get over it. Sure. So we don't have to feel uncomfortable around around them anymore. That's a know? really good point. That's, yes, you know. I think that's spot on. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let me, let me ask you this. What, what's been... And maybe maybe there's nothing that's the scariest thing about moving into your 60s, but do you have anything that 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 is, you know, the the scariest thing about moving into your 60s or the most uncertain thing or 
Well, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't like the physical aging part. <laughs> you know, true that. I, yeah, <laughs> I, you know, the job I have now is so interesting. I laugh at myself because I'm on my feet for four or six hours at a time, and. I'm so tired at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The physicality and the energy, and and I am a very high, or have tended to be throughout my life a pretty high energy, moving kind of person, you know? Yes. And so that piece, that's a little scary to me because, you know, I'm going to be 64 this month and I'm thinking... Geez, if you're getting tired at four hours <laughs> on your feet. <laughs> yeah. You know. Now, the opposite of that is because I'm in my 60s, I cut myself a break. And so I do like chill out when I come home and get, you know, recoup from being right. on my feet and allow myself to do that. Where in my, as in my younger years, if I was tired, I would just push through, you know? Right. But yeah, yeah I don't so pow- I don't power through anything anymore. Me neither anymore. I, and that's really been wonderful. <laughs> well, that's right. That's a good thing then about, about recognizing that, you know, yesterday I have a bit of a cold, nothing serious, but yesterday um, I canceled my class, my morning classes because I knew I had to be there for my afternoon classes, but mm-hmm. I knew if I went in in my morning classes, I would be just totally fried right. by the afternoon. I said, you mm-hmm. know what? I'm, I'm just going to cancel my morning classes. And then I went in for my afternoon classes. And you know what? The world didn't come to an end, did it? No. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> I think that that's that's a blessing of being in my 60s is is being able to allow myself to not do things and say no, you know and that say, word. I'm so much better at saying no to Yes, you 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 like you you were I mean, I'm not saying this is a but you were just so open to be there for a lot of people when you yes. were when you were young, Karen, in your twenties and thirties, and that just comes out of your your very uh, empathetic heart and compassion for other people. But even even people like yourself, you know, get worn out and yes. And ha- Yes. And you have to, and it, t- it took me a really long time to find some healthy boundaries around that. And I think that's what I like most about aging is that my headspace is so much better in taking care of myself than it ever was as a younger person. Yes. Because now, my, you're but the physical you're, part. You know, right. The, that's. <laughs> You know, there's not much you can do about that. I mean, you right. can try to, you know, that's that's just part, that's the aging process, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is is that, you know, your your physical decline, even 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 if you don't have the cognitive decline, you're you're going to have that physical decline. Sure. But I yeah, but I also hear you about the fatigue. I mean, when I come home from teaching, like last night. I, I, you know, I try to watch a little television, but like at, I mean, nine o'clock, I was falling asleep in the chair mm-hmm. and I said, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm just going to go to bed. Why, exactly. why, why, <laughs> what am I trying to prove to the, right. like, I can power through two more hours of television, uh, you know, right. said, exactly. I'm, I'm going to bed. So, yeah. yeah. Well, so is there any, is there, any, besides the physical piece, so, so I hear you're, you're in a pretty good place. You, you can, you can have some, you feel more comfortable about having boundaries in your sixties mm-hmm. about saying no or yes to what you, what you want to do. Is there any other reality check for you that you've had in these last few years? Definitely. But I don't know if it's about my 60s or if it was about the pandemic, really. 
prior to the pandemic, I would say like at turning 60, I was very staunchly talking about with my husband, we only have so much time left on this earth. I, I want to move. I want to have a different view. Um, I want to experience new things. And this has to happen. And then, and I felt, and it was like, I, and I don't want to, I don't want to die, you know, where I've lived the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. And was really talking about that a lot and felt very staunch about it, very certain about that. And then the pandemic hit. And I had kind of like a true awakening about the value of my home. And I don't Mm. just mean my house, but my community, my neighborhood, a a lot about my neighborhood because I spent a lot of time walking in my neighborhood. And I don't have that drive anymore to say I have to leave this space. Now, I know I can't age gracefully in the house that I live in. You know, it's two stories and, you know, all of that, all that stuff that that has to change. But I'm, but I'm feeling a lot more. So I don't know if it was really about, it's not really about getting older or in my sixties, but the pandemic brought back to me how much I do value my home and my community and and my neighborhood. And I feel just very differently now. I'm not feeling driven to go elsewhere immediately like I was when I turned 60. Wow. So yeah, that's a big, that's a, you know, that's a really 180 degree yeah. kind of change, right? It that's, is. you know, it is. to, to, look around you and see the value there and just sort of have a reset about that. Yes. Reset is a better word than a reawakening. I like reset better. And I I do feel like I was kind of reset and it it was a forced reset because of the pandemic. I'm not sure that I would have gotten there had all of those conditions not, you know, been in place. Yeah. So good you know, just a good thing to, you know, to take stock and look around Mm -hmm. and notice, right? You just noticed Mm -hmm. what was, what was right before you, what was right there, what was right right there. Yeah. Now that doesn't mean I'm not like really wanting to like remodel my kitchen. (laughs) Right. Yes. Of course not. You know, that is not off the table. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry, husband, but that's right. not off the table. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. And just, and just one last thing you've been, you've been great. This has been fantastic, but is there, is there anything uh, you would do differently regarding this process of moving into your sixties or do you feel like, you know, like you've, you've done it just the way you want it to, or. Hmm. Well, that's a tough one because. Hmm. And the reason I say that that's a tough one is because I don't, I don't think that I was really consciously thinking about age, you know? um, Oh, right. So. So no, I don't I don't know that there would be anything different. I mean, you know, maybe it would have been better financially had I like stayed in a traditional workplace where you mm-hmm, had a pension mm-hmm. and you know all of that. You know, I think what I think the biggest challenge that's that's coming up in in my 60s um for my husband and I is how we we're trying to figure out how we and our biz, his business. I mean, we've been in business together and how that's going to look. So that doesn't really answer your question though. No. Yeah. That's, yeah. You don't have to answer it. Yeah. So that's something that's coming up, right? Yes. That whole, yes. 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 And how, how we, you know, he's, 
he's been engaged in the the art of of luthery for well we've had this business for 38 years so how do we disengage from that how do we end that um and you know we have some good ideas some good prospects but also how do you maybe transition it so that it can still be alive in some way Mm-hmm. So that you know, that's that's the biggest challenge that's that's coming up now is just trying to be very thoughtful about figuring that out. And and quite frankly, you know, he he, there's no way he can be home with me every day. For- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but <laughs> so we're we're gonna have we really have to figure this one out. <laughs> Yeah. So that's, and that's another piece of it, right? Of this, Mm -hmm. of this whole process is not just ending work, but, but renegotiating what these relationships are going to look like when we're maybe both at home or, and, and, or when one person is at home and one person is working so yeah, that's a that's a big piece of it, but I f- I feel like you know, you have so much experience with you know, these elements of sort of winding down, you right. know, some things that I think you'll be able to I mean, I I'm sure you know, you will because you you have to get through it, but Right. We'll we'll figure it out. And and I think what's different for me than for a lot of people, including my husband, is is that his identity is very much connected to what he does. Of course. So how I didn't experience that when I stopped my profession. I didn't lose that piece of my identity because I no longer was a social worker. And maybe it's because I just did a lot of different things in that realm. Mm-hmm. But I think it'd be really hard for someone who's been in a particular profession doing a particular thing, particularly such a hands-on thing. You know, I, I mean, do you feel that way with teaching? It's like, but you, you've had varied careers though. You, yes. You've done yeah. different things. I don't know, you know, honestly, I think at this point I am I am actually exploring that part, that identity part mm-hmm. of what will my identity look like after teaching. And honestly, I think I'm ready. I'm I'm Great. I mean, I'm not I'm close, you know, as you know, but I don't I don't think that I I'm I'm not going to have a problem giving up that identity. I'm Great. I'm pretty pretty sure because just of what teaching entails and mm-hmm. the cognitive space it takes out, you know, takes up. I'm looking forward to having some of that cognitive space freed up for other things. Right. Uh, but well, I will you know, but oh. I will miss sort of seeing my colleagues Mm. and just being on campus yet just as you experienced with your business COVID really has affected the campus I'm sure so so faculty aren't around I mean it's not that they're not teaching but they're the faculty aren't around as much as they used to be when I was teaching there, you know, mm-hmm. decades ago. So it's a different place. Right. So I think it won't be as hard. Uh, it's not going to be hard to, to make that, you know, Good. to end, end the, end my time there. And I would, I would, you know, I just have to say knowing you as, as long as we have, <laughs> um, you know, you're, you've continued to be a writer, you know, to explore different areas of your life, to, to be a, a farmer, to, to do all right. kinds of things. So you're, I can see where, and I'm so glad for that for you, that your identity is not going to be 
shaken or have to go through that when you no longer, because you still will be a teacher. I mean, doing this podcast is teaching, right? Right, right. And, and I think, you know, I, and I was just writing about this yesterday, you know, hey, yeah, the podcast is sort of going to be, and I hope I can do this more, is, is going to be that, you know, will be that space mm-hmm. where I have conversations with people, right? right. Where I have conversations with friends and, and, and who knows who else I'll have conversations right. with, you know? Right. Uh, those kind that I have on campus. So, uh, I, you know, I didn't think about it. Oh yeah. That's, that's why you're doing this podcast. <laughs> that's why you're getting this started now, because that's going to be your, you know, sure. your hour of, of, you know, just conversation, communication, sharing you know, ideas. Yep. Sharing ideas, sharing experiences, so, and, and I'm looking forward to this a lot more than creating another syllabus, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally appreciate that, Marcy. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, well, Karen, it's, it's just been great to, I mean, we talk a lot anyway, but it's been great to, for you to be here, here with me and to hear sort of you know, you've given us, you've given us a lot to think about, you know, a lot of people, you know, a lot to think about regarding, uh, you know, some other topics, not just moving into our sixties, but with with your experience, the experience you've had is, is just something a lot of us need to hear. So I really appreciate it. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Totally my pleasure. All right. Well, we'll talk soon. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening and hope to hope to uh, uh, be with you again.